Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I want to start out today um, in the life of King David before he was king. Um, Now, most of you guys have known, if you've grown up in the church, you probably know a lot of the stories of King David, David, especially when he was younger. Um, but King David, uh, when David was a kid, the, the, his, his story kind of starts with the prophet Samuel coming when he's, when he's kind of a young boy and anointing him king over Israel, over all of his older brothers. Um, kind of a crazy thing. Nobody else really knew about that. And then the next story that we have is we have David, um, maybe the most uh, famous story of David, which is David and Goliath, right? David taking food to his brothers up at the front line, and there's this nine-foot-tall giant who is, um, who's, you know, kind of mocking the the uh, armies of the Lord, and uh, and David's like, how come nobody else is going out there to fight him? And everybody's scared of him, and David's like, I'm not scared. And David goes out, and he's got his sling, and he's got the um, a, a few stones that he gets from the brook, and he whips this thing around, and he ends up killing Goliath. And the best part of the story, he cuts his head off, right? Um, great story. And then from there, uh, King Saul was like, like, holy moly, who's this kid? This guy's amazing. And so he, so he brings him into his house, and King Saul decides that, you know, he can, he can uh, marry one of his daughters. And, you know, this whole thing is like a, it's a huge deal. And, and really what happens in the beginning of, of David's life, it's like everything he does turns to gold. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he is, everything he touches is like, he's amazing. Have you ever known anybody where everything they do, it just seems like it always works out. Everything always comes together or they're really, anything they try, they end up being really, really good at. Do you ever know anybody like that? Do you ever hate anybody like that? Any, any, no, not so much, not like me. I got a friend named Adrian. He's awesome. He's good looking. He's older than me and everybody thinks he's younger than me. He's got a fantastic family. He's super talented. I hate that guy. And he's also like the nicest guy you ever met. And so I love him and I hate him a little bit. Um, but I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever had that. Maybe your brother or your sister, you know, you just feel like everything always falls into place for them. You know, and that's how, uh, how it was for David. And as a matter of fact, as, as Saul brought David into his world, that's how Saul started to feel about David. Because, the, and, because David, anything he did, was, he was amazing. At, like Saul would send him off to battle and he would come back and David would like, he would just kill it, literally, like kill people. He, he was just real, like anything he did, he was amazing at. And he, and, um, and so it was so, it got so bad that people actually wrote a song about it. And the song basically was like, hey, Saul is good, but David is amazing. That's like, the song went, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, right? It's like, like, let's just jab that knife into Saul. And Saul very quickly turned on David. David, everything he did was good, and Saul just couldn't handle it. And so, just like my jealousy is, the ire is raised when it comes to my friend Adrian, uh, Saul gets a little more than that for David. 
I mean, to the point where, well, as a part of this process, David becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And, and this, this thing with Saul and David gets so bad. Saul gets so jealous of David and all of his success that Jonathan comes to David at one point and says, hey, you got to run. you got to get out of here. My dad's going to kill you. The king is going to kill you. You've got to run, and you've got to run now. And so David takes off. For at no fault of his own, his entire life is flipped upside down. And so he, he takes off out into the wilderness. And, I, and, and so we're going to spend our time with David today out in the wilderness, out on the run, not for days. He's not on the run for weeks. He's not on the run for months. He's on the run for year after year after year. And it's not because of anything he did. All he ever did was what he was supposed to do. All he ever did was be good at everything he tried to do. He didn't do it. Now, we know the story keeps going, and David says, does some pretty bad stuff later. But at this point, David has done nothing to earn the pain that he has begun to live with. Nothing to earn it. And so today, uh, you know, here's the truth. A lot of times, a lot of times the, the hard stuff in life that we are living through, the, the, the junk that we're dealing with is a result of stupid things that we did. Anybody ever been there? Like, like the, the junk that I'm living with is junk because I was stupid. I, did, I said a stupid thing. I did a stupid thing. I made a terrible choice with my money. I made a very terrible choice with my relationship, whatever, and I'm paying the consequence for that. I understand that that happens a lot. That's not what we're going to talk about today, okay? We're just going to kind of set that aside for the day today because today I want to talk about when life is terrible because of somebody else's choices. And that happens. I just want to live in that world. The way that, that David lived in that world for years. When life is terrible. Because of somebody else's choices. And um, the first thing we all have to admit in the middle of that is that it is inherently unfair, right? Yeah, how many times, you, how many parents, you got, we got parents in the room, I know we got a bunch of them, how many times have your kids said, that's not fair? Like, a bajillion, you mean today, Eric? Because um, that's like, that is the quote of every child who has ever lived. That's not fair. And my dad would always say, life's not fair. And it made me so mad. And then I became a dad. <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, you better learn it quick. You know what? Life stinks. Get used to it. Life's not fair. That's true. But, that, but when you're in the middle of it, when you are living in the consequences of somebody else's bad choice, there's sometimes there, there's few things that feel worse than that, that feel more unfair than that. Because what we really want, what we deep down want, is we want, if somebody has done something terrible to us, we want them to be punished, Right? We want them to have some kind of consequence. We want them to be punished. But what we find is that they rarely are. 
we, we think that, you know, that we have this idea of karma, that there's this karma thing out there that's a, a, a Hindu understanding, but it's part of our uh, culture right now that there's, hey, karma is going to get them. You know what? A lot of the times, karma don't get nobody. We, we want them to be punished. We want them to have consequences. But the truth is, most of the time, we're the one dealing with the consequences of their decision, and, and it feels like they're just living their best life. And that is ugly. That's an ugly place to be. So how do we live in the aftermath of the destruction that comes when somebody else makes choices that have profound impact on us. It actually is um, a really good place for us to be this last week of our little series called Lies. And this series is, we're just trying to figure out what does it look like uh, to live in a world where we let go of some of the clear, obvious lies that a lot of us buy into. The first one that we bought it, that we talked about is the lie that I am what I do or what I accomplish or what I achieve. The second one is that I am what I portray to the world. We talked about social media and all those kinds of things. And then today, we're going to talk about a different kind of lie. And the lie that we're going to talk about today that some of us actually believe is that I am what's been done to me. Some of us take on, as part of our identity, the things that someone else have done to us. We take it on. It's more than just that it, that it has affected our lives. It, it becomes part of who we are. We become, now there are, there are lots of victims in the world. Pe- many people are victimized in this world. But there is a point where we take that moment, we take that happening on as part of who we are, and we become a victim. And, um, and I, the truth is, I'm not, you know, part of me wants to say, you know, there's this, there's this language that says you can be a victim or you can be a survivor, right? Like, and I actually really like that language because I, th- I like the connotation because a victim feels defeated and a, and a survivor feels like um, they have taken back their life, right? A victim, uh, it feels like they're, like they're passive, or they, are, they turn inward and, and survivors kind of push forward and find new purpose. Victims, it's part of their identity. But survivors realize that's just part, uh, one little part of who they are and what, what happened to them. Um, and so, you know, the last thing I would want to do is victim blame or victim shame. Because the truth is, um, if somebody has had something happen to them, and I, I guarantee in a room this size... There are people who have had things that have been done to them that are unspeakable. And I, man, I just don't even want to start to make you feel in any way inadequate or that you have to become a survivor. You know, I I just don't want to stand up here and say, you got to stop being a victim and start being a survivor. It's nothing is that simple. But what I would like to do today is I would like to step into the life of David at a point in time when somebody was making his life a living hell by their choices. And I want to give you four things that David did in the middle of that. Hopefully they'll take you somewhere. 
Um, so we are going to be uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 22 through 24 today. We're going to kind of jump around. But I just want to look at four little things that happened in the middle of when David was off on the run from Saul. Remember, Saul is like, he's the king. He's got the power. He's got the military. He's got the, the um, people who are going to report on where David is. David's always on the run. People are, people are uh, sending word to Saul about where they saw David. So he's got to move again. And so all of his whole life, is consumed with just running, just trying to stay alive. And so this is second, or 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 3, um, right at the beginning, right after he left, it says, From there David went to Mitzpah in Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So first of all, he's got this sense that God is going to help him, right? I'm sure at the beginning he's like, this is going to be a terrible couple of weeks, right? <laughs> you know, like, uh, but, but the first thing that he does, instead of turning inward, instead of, you know, sitting alone in a cave, oh, woe is me, what is the first thing that he does? He takes care of his mom and dad. He takes care of business. He has responsibilities. He doesn't just... You know, there is a, there's a, a tendency in us when we feel attacked, when somebody else is making decisions that have profound impact on our lives, the very first thing we want to do is to protect ourselves, right? We want to we shield ourselves. We want to be as careful with our lives as we possibly can. But, but what David does is the first thing he does is he thinks of somebody else, mom and dad. I can be on the run, mom and dad can't. And so he takes them to a, to a, a neighboring kingdom and he's asked the king, please, 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 will you, will you protect my parents from Saul? He isn't thinking of himself, he's thinking of others. And I think that that is right from the, from the very start. The first thing that he does is he becomes others focused. He has a bunch of other people who follow him, and he's taking care of these other. There's hundreds of men who are, who are kind of the outcasts who end up following him. And so he, uh, he, he becomes a person who is not about himself. He becomes a person who is others-focused. And i got to say this, that our, our natural tendency, when we, when we feel attacked, when we feel under pressure, our, na our, uh, pressure, our natural tendency is to protect ourselves. But the... the, the Truth is, the most important first step that we can take is we need to learn to serve somebody else when life is at its hardest. And I'm not pretending that it fixes everything. I'm not, but there is some kind of magic. I've seen it over and over and over again. When somebody's life is at its worst, if they decide, if they choose to turn it around and serve somebody else, even when life is at its hardest, there is magic. Maybe it's called spiritual stuff, but um, there is this magic that happens that, that brings healing in ways that protecting ourselves and turning inward never can. The first thing that David does is he becomes others-focused. And then, here's the next thing that happens with David. Uh, you remember Jonathan is Saul's son, David's best friend. Jonathan's the one who said, you got to run because Saul's going to kill you. Well, Saul was back at it 
trying to kill David, and Jonathan came to visit. Let's read in chapter 23, verse 15. Uh, It says, well, David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph. You see, he's not like hanging out in these beautiful places. He's in the desert. Right? He's just, he's just trying to live, just trying to make it. While he was at this place in the desert, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. The first thing that Saul did was he became others focused. And the second thing he did was he let his friends speak truth and goodness into his life. Again, here we are. We feel attacked. We feel like we're under pressure. Our, our natural tendency is to close ranks, is to, is to protect ourselves. And part of protecting ourselves is normally when somebody has hurt us, it's been somebody who's in relationship with us, right? And so what do we want to do? We're scared of relationship. We're scared of getting, letting anybody get close. And so we put up walls. We're, we, we've been attacked. We've got to build that fortress, and we put up walls, and we keep our friends out. I've got to be honest with you. I struggle with this. When I'm having a hard time, when life is at its worst, I don't want people getting in close. Oh, sure, we'll have regular, we'll have conversations, but it won't be about anything that matters. I want to, I, I just, when I'm feeling attacked, I feel like I want to protect myself. But again, I know it's, um, it's counterintuitive. But what we have to do when we feel under pressure, when we feel under attack, we do what David did. He let Jonathan in to speak truth. Look what it says. Jonathan went to David and helped him find strength in God. He wasn't just saying buck up, right? He wasn't just saying you're going to make it through. There was some spiritual guidance. And so I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you, if you were attacked today, do you have somebody in your life who will speak spiritual guidance into you? Do you have somebody in your life who will speak the truth into you? That's the first question. That's actually the easier question. Did you know that? Because the harder question is, if you have that person, will you let them? Not only do you have somebody who will speak truth into your life, but will you, will you let them? Will you let Jonathan walk into your life and say, this is what matters. This is where God wants to speak into you. It is not easy. So the first thing David did when he was attacked, the first thing he did was he became other, others focused. And the second thing he did was he let his friend in. The third thing that David chose to do while he was on the run is he chose to let go of revenge. This one's tough. Uh, When I was uh, maybe 22 or 23 years old, um, I had somebody that I really trusted um, tell me some terrible things about myself. And they, it, was just, it was just mean. You ever just have somebody just say awful, mean, hateful things to you? You know what I'm saying? Just almost for the sake of being mean. But, there, but it actually, it was worse than that. Um, you know, I'm 22 or 23 years old, and they said all of this stuff, and, and I wish that all of it was wrong, but it was all true. 
So they spewed off all of this hateful, awful stuff that I knew deep down had a grounding in the truth. And it destroyed me. I mean, it just really ripped me to shreds for months. I, I, just, I just kept, I couldn't, I couldn't get over it. You know what I'm saying? Do you guys ever, okay, I'm sure this is just me, but do you guys ever um, have like daydreams about like running into somebody like that at Walmart or Walgreens or Woodman's or whatever, and you know exactly what you'd say to them this time? You know what I'm saying? Like the, the little revenge fantasy, like, oh, man, if I had another chance at that, I would rip them to shreds. No, nobody else? Just me? Okay. Um, I'm telling you, I just, I, it, was, it was hard. And, um, and I remember it was, I would, just, I would just think about that conversation over and over in my head. Um, and then I would just play out these, like, what I should have said. I should have said this. I should have done this. I should have, should have, could have, would have. And, um, and I remember it was right around that time that Mandy and I started to come to church at Central. And David, our lead pastor, um, I was just talking to him about it one day because I was really struggling. It had been a few months, and I was like, I just can't, I can't push past this. It's just, it's just eating me alive. And he said, um, actually, uh, you know, this was a while ago. This was almost 20 years ago, and, and David's an old man. So um, he said, uh, he said, Eric, we all have tapes that play in our head. Tapes. Isn't that cute? Kids, tapes are, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but we, he says, we all have tapes that play in our head. And we let them go, and we let them play over and over and over again. And the problem is, when we let them play, they give us a, an okay feeling, and they actually give us a feeling that we like. There's a payoff. Does that make sense? There's a payoff when we let them play over and over in our heads. The problem is they will kill us. If we let them go, they're going to kill us. He says, you got these tapes playing over and over in your head. You got the conversation itself playing over and over, and you got this idea that you could have, should have, would have said all this stuff. He said, you, you have to let go of the revenge fantasy. You got to let go of the fantasy that, it's, that you're going to make it right, that you're going to fix it, that you're going to come back and you're going to get the punishment that that person deserves. And um, David did the same. Uh, this is, David's been out for a long time, running. And uh, at one point, Saul and his men are chasing him, and David's in the back of this cave. Um, probably a lot of you guys have heard this story. David's in the back of the cave. Saul walks into the cave unknowingly to take a leak. That's the Hebrew. Um, he walks in to take a leak, and David's back in the back with his friends, and his friends are like, dude, this is it. God has, this is like, this has to be God, right? This has to be, God gave him into your hand. All you got to do is walk up behind him and, right? That's all, it, that's all it's going to take. This is done. And David says, heck no. No way. No way. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He knew that God had anointed Saul king. And he said, I won't do it. I will not take revenge into my own hands. That's what David said. 
And so, he, so instead, he, he sneaks up on Saul, and he, and he takes the, the back of his, of his cloak, and he cuts a little piece off of the back of his cloak without Saul even knowing. And Saul walks out of the, of the um, cave, and, and David calls to him. He says, Saul, look, you think I'm coming after you? I had a chance to, to take your life, and I spared it. Look, I have the, the hem of your cloak. And Saul felt terrible, and he left, and then everything was hunky-dory from then on out, right? Wrong. David spares Saul's life, because, and you think, that's how the story should go, right? He does the right thing, so good things happen to him. Wrong. He did the right thing, Saul leaves for a little while, and then just comes right back after him. Years later, did I say days later? I said years later. He's still on the run. And Saul and his men have camped in this valley. And David and his couple of friends say, hey, let's go down into the camp. And David and just a couple of people walk down into the camp. And, they, and God puts the whole camp into a dead sleep. And they walk right up to Saul, where Saul is sleeping. And, and David's friends again are like, this is it. Look, God is keeping everybody asleep. Just just kill him right here, right now. The whole thing can be over. And, and David says, I told you, no, I will not take revenge. And so David steals a couple of things and he, and he walks kind of far away, far enough away to be safe, but, but close enough to say something. And he wakes the whole camp up and he says, Saul, look. Look, again, I had another chance to kill you, and I didn't do it. Look, what, what do you think? Why on earth are you chasing me? And that's where we'll pick up. This is First uh, Samuel chapter 24, verse 14. It says, against whom has the king of Israel, you, Saul, come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? I'm nothing. That's what he's saying. Why are you coming after me? I am nothing. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And when David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? Hmm? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. And David says, yes, I swear, of course I was never going to do that. And then everything went perfectly, and David went home, right? Wrong! Saul left, he felt super guilty at that moment, and then very quickly changed his mind and came back out after David. And, and ran after him for years and years until literally Saul died. He never stopped running after David. But David refused. He refused to allow this deep need inside of us for revenge. He refused to allow it to take control of him. So the first thing he did was he became others-focused. When, when, when life was terrible, when somebody else's decisions 
impacted his life in such a terrible way. The first thing he did did was he became others focused. The second thing he did was that he let his friend speak truth and goodness into his life. And then he let go of revenge. And the final thing he did that we want to talk about today is he refused to ignore the pain that he was feeling. David refused to ignore the pain that he was feeling. You th- everything we just said about him makes him feel, seem like a, like a really strong, wise, warrior-type guy, and I think that he was, but he was also an artist. And David wrote a song. He wrote a lot of songs, actually. And he wrote a lot of songs at this point in time. And here is part of one of those songs. He said, my tears have been my food day and night. Have you ever been there? My tears have been my food day and night. It's like I got nothing else. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And he's going he's gonna to kind of reminisce about the good old days. He said, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. David refused to ignore the pain that he was feeling. Um, I want you all to get in a van with me. I have candy. I'm just kidding. Okay, we're in a van. I got a big old van, right? This big, big, empty cargo van. And I'm going to be up here driving. Now, in the back of the van, I'm going to pack a bunch of stuff. I'm going to, you know, like loose stuff. A bunch of heavy, loose stuff, kind of cattywampus all over the place packed. Not really well packed and not really tightly packed, all right? We're in the van, and I'm driving. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is good. Um, how much am I shaking? Like, am I? Hey, it's Thanksgiving. Don't judge me. Anyway, we're driving, right? And I don't see the stop sign until the last minute, right? And I stop, stop on the brakes. This is not a trick question. What happens to all the stuff in the back? It's coming for me right? Like it is coming this direction, right? Everything's coming this direction. Okay. Let's unload the van. Everything comes out of the van. And this time, instead of loading up the van with a bunch of stuff, I'm going to blow up with helium, uh, a helium balloon. Okay. I got this helium balloon and I got a a piece of string that I'm tying to it. And I'm going to take that string and I'm going to tie it to the floor of the middle of the empty van. Y'all with me? Empty van, String, balloon, me, and we're driving, and we're shaking, and there's jiggling happening, and I miss the stop sign again, and I press on the brake. What direction does the balloon go? This is a science experiment. Anybody know? Does the balloon come this direction? No, it doesn't. Does it stay straight? Nope. It goes backwards. It's a fun little thing. You should do it with your, with your kids. The balloon actually goes the opposite direction. We did this in, the, in, in our car one time, and I was, I, we just kind of saw it by accident, and, because I stomp on the brake a lot, apparently, in the car. Anyway, um, 
But there's a reason that the balloon goes in the opposite direction than all the heavy stuff does. It's because in the van, the van is filled with air. And air has mass and density that's heavier than what the balloon has. So when I step on the brake, all of the air in the van pushes in this direction, right? Just like all the other stuff would. And because it's heavier and more dense and has more mass than the balloon, it displaces the balloon and the balloon pushes back to the back. The problem, the reason why it's so counterintuitive is that we forget that air even exists, right? We spend our entire lives living in air and we don't even think, unless you don't have it, you never think about it, right? The air is very real and air has mass. Air is actually very powerful. You don't get to fly if there's no air, right? There's no airplanes without air. A, a, a steam engine train, locomotive, is powered by air. Air actually has mass and density, even though we forget about it most of the time. And I, and I bring it up because the truth is almost every single person in this room has probably had something that has happened to you in your life, that somebody else's choice has had a negative impact on your life. And for the most part, if it's been long enough, we forget it even exists. We don't even realize that it's part of us, that it's taken up residence in who we are. We think that it's, we live in this sort of empty space, but we don't. Air has mass, and so do all of these things that have happened to us. And so, um, just, just like the air, we for, when we forget about the things that have happened, when we, and it's not just that we accidentally forgot about them. A lot of the time, we chose to forget about them, didn't we? Something terrible happened, and man, it just hurts too much to think about it. And so we, we decide not to. Or, or we, we, we want to pretend that it doesn't matter because we don't think it should matter. You know, if it's not this terrible, awful thing, then we think, you know, I shouldn't care this much about it. And so I'm just going to pretend that I don't care about it. And, and really, for the most part, we, we, we want to forget about it because... We think that if it does matter, it makes us weak. I, I mean, I remember those months that I just felt like beat up by this, this guy who said this stuff to me. Um, I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. Why does this matter? This is one person. Why does it matter so much to me? But it, it just did. And I remember wanting to just ignore it. If I ignore it long enough, it'll just go away. But the truth is, if we want to let go of the lie that we are what's been done to us, if that's a lie that we really do want to let go, you don't let go of it by ignoring it. Because 
air has mass, and so do these things. You may not think they're, you may try to forget that it's around. But these things, they, they affect every part of our lives. I mean, you may not think that they do, but, but some of this stuff that has been done to us over the course of our lives, they affect our relationships. Some of them affect, uh, affect the way that we spend our money or the poor way that we spend our money. Some of them affect the way that we parent. And we can ignore them all we want to. But the, this stuff has mass in our lives. And so I think we ignore it at our own peril. David refused to ignore the pain. He wrote songs about it. He was honest about it. And so, and so we look the truth in the face. That's, that's the first thing we have to, we got to learn to look the truth in the face. And I got to be honest with you though, right now, if you, if, if this little talk here has brought up in you some really painful stuff from your past, if you have suffered abuse in any way, and I just told you what you need to do is look your pain in the face, um, I, I don't take that back, but I will say this. You're going to need help. Just, just saying, hey, I'm going to stare this in the face right now by myself I think it could be a recipe for disaster. If you, if you have some stuff, and here's, here, the other thing I want to say is that over the course of the last year, I've been in therapy. It's been the, one of the best things I ever did. I don't think I'm crazy. Um, I've been going, I went through some really tough stuff, and I realized I needed help, and so I sought that help. And I tell you that because what I want to say is, um, it, therapy isn't, just, isn't for crazy people. Actually, I'm not sure how good therapy is for actual crazy people. But I, I, I got to say, if, if, that, if you live on the end of the spectrum of what somebody has done to you that is much more severe, please don't just walk out of here and dredge it all up without somebody to help you. Can I say that? Please get professional help to do that. All right. Um, but... I'm telling you, ignoring it doesn't help. We have to learn to look the truth in the face. And the second thing we've got to do is we've got to figure out how to, how to forgive. I know that, oh man, that, that word is humongous. It, and, and it sounds super easy. Hey, just forgive. But I know how difficult it is. And I'm sure that most of you have probably heard this, but, but i got to say it again in case, in case there's anybody in here that doesn't understand it. Forgiveness is not this for the sake of the person who did it. Forgiveness is what is for you. Forgiveness is, allowing your, is setting yourself free from the pain of bitterness. That's what forgiveness is. But it is, it's, truthfully, forgiveness is impossible. There's only one way to forgiveness, and I'll get to that in a second. So we've got to learn to look the truth in the face. Make sure to get professional help if you need it. We have got to learn to forgive. But, but the third thing we have to do is we have to remind ourselves over and over that victim is not a word that describes who you are. But here's the other thing I'm going to say. Neither is survivor. Survivor doesn't describe you either, and here's why I would say that. A victim you are not a victim because that, that doesn't define you. But a survivor, if, if the word survivor defines you, then it means that you are good because you worked hard at it and you fought your way back and you earned your way to survivor status. 
right? Which is great, except that's not true. The truth is, the only thing that we are, we are not victims, we are not survivors, we are children of God. The only thing that gives us, and you know, this is the, this is the truth for our entire series. This is the bottom line for the entire series. Anything, anything that we derive our identity from that is not the cross, that is not the understanding that God loves us enough to, to send his son to die on a cross for us, and that that, that uh, event can radically alter our lives. Anything else that we find our identity from is slippery sand. Slippery sand? I think that should be sinking sand. Sand's not so slippery, is it? All right. Okay. Everything else doesn't work. And so if I find my identity in the fact that I have been victimized, it doesn't work. If I find my identity in the fact that I can work myself out of that by being a survivor, it doesn't work. The only way that I can look directly at this stuff that has been done to me is if I can find my identity in Jesus. The only way that I can forgive, the only way that I can forgive is if I understand that Jesus has forgiven me. Because, you know, the truth is this guy that, that you know, I, I have talked to you about this whole um, time today, this guy who said this terrible stuff to me, he and I are fine. I see him all the time. I have great conversations with him. And, it, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but our relationship has been reconciled completely. And it's not because I'm, like, super spiritual, because I'm not. The truth is, the only way that I can find forgiveness is to realize I've been a jerk, too. And Jesus died on the cross for me, and he forgave me. The only way that I can forgive somebody else is to realize how much I've been forgiven. And so it... That this concept of identity, finding our identity in how hard we work at something, finding our identity in the reputation that we have in the community, finding our identity in, in something that has happened to us in our lives, all of it is screwed up. The only way that we can live the life that Jesus has called us to is to find our identity in the cross. He forgave me. That's it. He forgave me. He loves me. He's not mad at me. He's not disappointed in me. He sees me for who I am, and he loves me. Everything else is a lie. Every, making anything else matter that much is a lie. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.